Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. This recording is the first half of a live poetry event at La Mama Poetica in the suburb of Carlton in Melbourne. La Mama Poetica, for decades now, has presented the cutting edge of spoken word performance and poetry in Melbourne. In this first half of La Mama Poetica for February 2015, we hear from Peter Bukowski and Gemma Ann White. Your host at La Mama Poetica is Amanda Anastasi. We have a wonderful evening of poetry here this evening. Um, We're going to hear the following poets in this order. Peter Bukowski, Gemma White. Um, We'll have a 20-minute break and then we'll have Jennifer Compton and David Stavanger. Let's just get right into it. Peter Bukowski, he's been writing for 32 years. He's published seven collections and his most recent collection, Personal Weather, it's an excellent collection. Peter's poems have appeared in 100 literary magazines, um, predominantly in English, but they have been translated into various languages. He's been an artist in residence at um, in Australia, Europe, North America, Africa. He's had writing residencies in Rome and Paris. And in March, well, next month, Peter will undertake a national poetry tour of France to promote his bilingual selected poems. So we're very lucky to have caught him before he leaves. Um, So please give a very warm welcome to Peter Bukowski. I have to point out these pants that my wife made. (laughs) (laughs) She's made me an even more startling pair for France. The first poem I'm going to read is... um, I once went on a poetry tour of the Riverina with um, a Canberra poet and biographer, Adrian Caesar. And he's talked about when you do a biography or an autobiographical poem, to think of the pivotal, significant moments in your life. And um, when I was 17, growing up in Lower Templestowe, my parents went through a very loud, elongated vocal divorce. They threw plates at each other, spat at each other. I learned all the swear words in German and Polish. And it was when I was um, just about to do year 12 high school. I failed high school because of the atmosphere in the the family home. So I've tried to write a sort of universal poem about divorce. And even though my parents' divorce occurred in uh, Lower Templestowe, I've I've set the poem in Hurstbridge here in <laughs> You'll see why at the end. Portrait of a Divorce, Hurstbridge, Melbourne, 1973. It's not the question answered, but the answer questioned. It's not the cost of living, but the cost of lying. It's not the beaten rug, but the beaten player. It's not what you eat, but what's eating you. It's not talk of the weather, but whether you'll talk. It's not being human, but being humane. It's not the supervision of adults, 
but the suspicion of adults. It's not the child's abandon, but the child abandoned. It's not the dog in the sun, but the sun in the dog. It's not the way it should be, but you shouldn't be in the way. It's not that you've moved, but that you've been removed. It's not the end of the story, but the end of the line. So Hurstbridge is the end of that tram line. And I had to check it on Google. It was actually built, whether it existed as a station before, before 1973. I'm going to read you a new poem. Um, I'm quite a collector of aphorisms. And one of my favourite um, poet who writes what's called monositches, one-line poems, is the Spanish poet Raymond Gomez de la Serna. And his, I'm going to recite you my favourite one-line poem of his first. They don't have titles, just the one line. Fleas make a dog a guitarist. So here's my uh, tribute poem to him, made up of ten aphoristic lines. And it's called Observations in the Café Commercial Madrid. The moth thinks the candle flame is an entrance, not an exit. The fantasy of the elevator is to go sideways. <laughs> Cats will have no need of us once they've mastered the can opener. <laughs> it's hard to tell when a snail is dawdling. <laughs> Irresistible dream, scissors able to cut the shadow cast by a piece of string. When we turn our backs, the most ambitious kitchen chair practices pirouettes. Maybe one day the nails will forgive all the hammers. Inside some yawning mouths, there should be train tracks. When a fresh metaphor escapes from a pen, it's a butterfly eluding every net. The best magicians can pull a hat out of a rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a friend who's... Um, quite a high flyer in the business world and he lives in the uh, posh part of Kew and he wanted, he commissioned me to write a poem about courageous leadership. He wanted to send the poem out to all these other high flyers in the business world but he didn't want it to be like a Christmas card. So he sat me down and commissioned this poem and it's called The Courage Season and I wrote the words The Courage Season vertically and then wrote the poem The Courage Season The days you try to settle them in diaries 
but they can't be herded, tamed. They're here to counter, perhaps best, each chess move, your ability to push out from dead corners. Curiosity, action and laughter are contagious, as are their opposites. At crucial times, you'll need to go out on a limb to understand the landscape, to see the outlines of false paths. Risk being a tightrope walker rather than a pedestrian. It's a case of attitude over altitude. Go beyond data, dithering, staring at photographs of dead explorers. Today awaits your focus, imprint and bold steps. Some self-examination is what the moral doctor ordered. Excuses are crutches, let them clatter to the ground. A balance is sought, but there are tremors, shifts, seizures. Solutions come to the alert, the open-minded, excited by obstacles rather than dismayed. Perhaps right now there's no one more in need of surprising than yourself. Commissioning a poem and negotiating a payment was like a poker game. My friend Mark sat me down at our kitchen table and he said, how much do you want for the poem? And I said, a thousand dollars. And ten days later, he dropped it around a thousand dollars. There you go. <laughs> Which I've spent on pants. <laughs> I'm quite fascinated with Sylvia Plath and Ted Hughes. The ripples that still um, affect us reading their poetry and reading about their lives. So um, in this poem, I've tried to speak through Sylvia Plath's voice as her marriage to Ted Hughes was deteriorating. So it's called Sylvia Plath Considers Her Husband and Their Marriage, August 1962. At the breakfast table, you butter toast, spread jam, drain a second cup of tea. No talk of poems in progress, breakthroughs and stumbling blocks. Twice already, you've looked at the confining wallpaper. There's a library book you must return. Today I won't help you find your reading glasses. After you leave, I check whether the scrape of your chair has left a scar. Soon she will be with you for a pilfered hour. Feel your hands violent with her clothes. Dive to where deeper currents pull and wreck. I turn the pages of an old photo album, try to recognise the us the camera shows before you hunted elsewhere. Your new love poem in The Observer, it's not me cherished in those lines. I want to enthrall, but not with my wound. I have the afternoon to kill I dice carrots, celery and potatoes for soup and think of four-letter words, 
love, lust, fury. Outside the kitchen window, two pegged shirts hang, waiting for a ghost husband to fill them. In the evening, you appear, offer the excuse of a late train, then a kiss. In the hallway mirror, I betray myself, accept this gift on the cheek. Pleading tiredness, you go to bed. I'll overturn my writing desk, make the grandfather clock topple. I sit on the spindly wooden chair, look at the wedding ring on my finger, the radiance and dark through which this world spins. A hand pulls at a loose thread, a hand closes on to thorns, a hand holds a pen and writes a poem, clings to the raft of it, then lets go. Tonight... I'll try to sleep on the couch, but fail, listening for the sound of your footsteps upon the stairs, my heartbeat. I always like to finish with a uh, poem about Paris. Helen and I are going to Paris on Sunday, and the last time we were there was 1999. And this is just a portrait poem of Paris. Paris, 1999. Kindergartens and horse butchers. Teenagers kissing in front of racist graffiti. A street corner prostitute smoking, waiting, not knowing if her next customer will leave bruises or a tip. Small leashed dogs made of sniffing and urination pulling widows home. Bakeries judged by the length of their queues. In the parks are fountains, carousels, sellers of balloons, kites, ice cream, all there to help children loosen the patience or gravity of parents. Here is Paris, embracing then mocking, then replacing politicians, architects, designers, theorists, soccer players and lovers. Here is Paris, speaking Polish, Arabic and Chinese, selling computers, mobile phones, birds in cages, airline tickets away from itself. Here is Paris, the Mona Lisa under glass, and the beggar's cardboard sign, the bribed bureaucrat and the pampered dog. Here is Paris, where often the only response we can afford is to sigh. You're listening to Spoken Word 3CR, where community voices make a big splash.
We return now to La Mama Poetica on Spoken Word 3CR, where MC Amanda Anastasi is introducing the second feature of the night, Gemma White. just uh, released her first book of poetry called Furniture is Disappearing. And this book was also awarded Best First Book in IP's Rolling Picks Awards for 2014. She's been published in The Age, award-winning Australian Writing 2011 and Best Australian Poems 2013, um, among other places. And Gemma's done some really interesting things um, uh, with poetry media projects, such as RMIT's Prod... Um, a collaboration of poetry and film. Her poems have been used um, and turned into songs, featured in MASH, a collaborative poetry initiative uh, for Overload. And she also edited Sacred Profane, which is a journal of contemporary free verse poetry by Australian international poets. Um, Gemma is a delight to listen to because she can be funny, moving, and um, there's a, a clarity in the way she writes. And I think you'll really enjoy it. Here she is. We were just in France just before and I started writing when I was studying overseas in Scotland so I'm going to go with one based in London. This is called Love Poem for London. Two in the eye overlooking London's lights. One hand in mine strolling through Soho's night. Eating tart in Camden Town. In a construction site while it poured down. It never rains in London, but just in case that's a lie, we must be all business all the time. We cannot be stuck without a bus with only top hats to guide us. Yesterday, I retraced Hugh Grant's steps, essence of celebrity scattered through Portobello markets. Circling the channel between friend and lover, I say goodbye to one, and wait in the rain for the other. Finding inspiration in Hockney's lines and colours. Nosebleed seats to watch a masked man with binoculars. Hours filled with mythology, gods I should know but don't. Arguments over comics, things we could say but won't. Okay, I'm going to go from London to Caulfield North now. <laughs> step down, I suppose. Um, the Joggers and the Immaculate Lands. In this postcode, the lands are immaculate. Even the leaves of the trees gleam like a cleaning product commercial at the joggers in the park below. Their sunglasses reflect blue skies. Kids in prams, dogs. I know something they don't know. Running is not fun. And it would not stop you from getting old. I'd rather just not run. They run away from age, from wrinkles, from weight gain, in long yet futile strides. They're out there every day, at all times. Even when it's raining, they keep on running. I guess old age keeps chasing, is neither tamed by time nor change in weather. Then one day, whilst cornered in my private apartment of nothing, 
Looking out over the stream of joggers, I suddenly get the urge to do something drastic. I'm feeling static. I have to move, do something, go somewhere. I go out. I find myself on the cup. Sorry, go out. I find myself on the carpet, clad in clinging black tracksuit, <coughs> feet shod in white lace-up trainers, stretching a shoulder, an arm, a quadriceps. I enter the green square like a robber entering a jewelry store. I look around. No one takes any notice of another tracksuited fiend on the path to health and fitness. I start jogging. Slowly at first, a tad self-consciously, then I go faster. My legs enjoy it. They like being used, stretched to their full capacity. I run like I'm running from something. I run from life. I run like I'm free. This is a bit of an embarrassing one to read because my parents are in the audience, but I'm going to go for it anyway. <laughs> This one's called Ardent Lovemaking. <laughs> First time we did it, we laughed like lunatics, felt the whole world at its knees, everything stopping momentarily. We laughed like lunatics, finally I've found someone unafraid to laugh, everything stopping momentarily. The world divides in unison. Unafraid to laugh, finally I've found someone. We woke the housemates with our uproar. The world divides in unison. Everything shifts out of balance. We, with our uproar, woke the housemates, turning over, stuffing pillows overheads. Out of balance, everything shifts. Now you're in someone else's arms. Turning over, stuffing pillows over heads. It was never again as good as the first time. Now you're in someone else's arms. And you ring me up. You ring me up? It was never again as good as the first time. You say, you don't do it enough with her. And you ring me up, you ring me up, saying, she doesn't do oral sex. You say, you don't do it enough with her. Not with the frequency we used to do it. Saying... She doesn't do oral sex. Oh, but I love her. How I love her. Not with the frequency we used to do it. The first time we did it. Oh, but I love her. How I love her. Felt the whole world at its knees. I've had a, a long list of unsuccessful kind of attempts to uh, have housemates or flatmates. And this poem um, came out of one of these uh, experiences. To my flatmate, I hear you scuttling around the flat. See evidence of your existence. Some grated cheese shreds left on the bench. Crumbs from English muffins fallen on their way to the toaster. I see Philadelphia cream cheese covered knives left in the sink for me to clean. <laughs> I notice that we ran out of toilet paper more quickly these days and your crumpled stained towel decorates the bathroom floor in a wet, soggy heap. Sometimes you leave your door open 
and I peek in from the sidelines, finding an issue of FHM, Cole's cloudy apple juice, a collection of plates, cereal, even more English muffins, and a single cup on the bedside table. You are something so mysterious, keeping strange hours, or perhaps just extremely boring, (laughs) keeping yourself to yourself and only bothering to inquire about me when you're drunk and horny. You say, you could sell those paintings down on the beach in St Kilda. You have a thing about St Kilda. You always seem to be down there or just come from there or balaclava. (laughs) One day we go out drinking and you tell me you're having a very good time because you are with me. And then you put your face very near mine and kiss me. I'm sure this is against many flatmate rules and regulations. (laughs) Besides, I say, you're the same age as my younger brother. But that doesn't faze you. What about Demi Moore and Ashton Kutcher, you ask? (laughs) You keep drinking. I do the same. But there is no conversation. Just rapid bouts of kissing. What should I expect from a 19-year-old boy? You make jokes about wet pussies and lipstick going everywhere. There is no stopping you in your terrible jokes. (laughs) So... I begin to laugh and we go home in a taxi after much prodding from you to go back to our flat for homemade cocktails for that read sex. But it doesn't happen. You are too young, too, too young and your confidence fails right at the critical moment. You leave my room all sheepish. Sorry for being lame, you say. Another drunken night perhaps. And with that, you close the door. So we go from slightly rude to uh, lowbrow, I suppose. (laughs) Perils of the Public Library. The Port Phillip Library's copy of Betting on the Muse, Poems and Stories by Charles Bukowski, has a blatant brown stain across the top of half its pages. And being as it is a book by Bukowski, that brown stain could be anything. (laughs) Coffee, chocolate, anything. This worries me slightly as the stain is not mine, probably belonging to one of my reader predecessors. It looks like a dark, smudged, shit fingerprint. (laughs) with a bloated, cloudy shadow of shit surrounding it. It looks like someone's DNA print encoded in the swirls and loops of their own body waste. A testament to a well-read book. (laughs) This is what you get when you're too broke or tight-assed to pay for your own private copy of poetry. (laughs) But When I open the book and read, the shit print disappears from view. Oh, this is my book, by the way. It's called Furniture is Disappearing. I have some copies. Furniture is Disappearing. 
While you are making soup all day, furniture is disappearing. Gone is your table, used as a desk. Your TV cabinet is empty of DVD. There is a huge box on the coffee table. Emerging from the paper inside, a green salad spinner, a large glass saucepan lid. It is strange to witness this furniture disappearing. Clothes erupting from cupboards, coffee mugs and teaspoons separated and reclaimed. And while we're sorting what belongs to whom, can you please give it back? My unwitting optimism. I believe I brought it with me into this relationship. But when you said, I'm going to make you soup, that part of me that was to demand its safe return melted and trickled away somewhere, the furniture disappearing, the smell of your homemade soup. Thanks very much. <laughs>